What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Finn Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Giandaletti. Finn's up, baby. Victory Monday. Let's go. Dolphins move to 7-3, and three, officially on the season, heading into their bye week. And before we get into the breakdown and review of this Week 10 victory against the Cleveland Browns, if you're new to the channel, welcome. What a, what a good time to, to, to start listening to the podcast. If you're not new and you've been here for a while, welcome back. Regardless, subscribe on whatever podcast streaming service you're listening through. And make sure to leave us a review. Leave, leave a review here for the Finn Sports Football Podcast. Make sure to give five stars if you like what you hear on a weekly basis. And my goodness, what a time to be a Dolphin fan. What a time to be a Dolphin fan, man. Seven and three Dolphins moved to first place in the division uh, after the Buffalo Bills lose tragically again in, in in overtime to the Minnesota Vikings. And, and it's a shame because the Buffalo Bills, man, if they could just not have to play with the sun and not have to go into overtime, bro, they'd be like the best team ever. But unfortunately, like they had to play in the sun in Miami um, and, and they had to play an overtime game and, and, you know, the coin flip just never goes their way. And, you know, I mean, they did stop the Minnesota Vikings, held them to a field goal. But I mean, when your quarterback decides to throw it to the other player into double coverage over the middle in the red zone, like Josh Allen did, you know, there's, <laughs> there's only so much you can do, but luckily our quarterback doesn't do things like that. Uh, and we are definitely going to talk about Tua Tonga Vailoa today on the podcast. So when I was thinking about how I wanted to go over everything with the game, I thought it'd be easiest maybe with this game because there is so many positive things to say to kind of just go position by position maybe um, because, again, there's so many people that I got to give m- some flowers to, some props to for how they stepped up in this game uh, that I feel like you know, to just go over the defense in general, I'm going to be I'm going to be doing it anyway. So I might as well stick to going over position by position on both offense, defense and special teams. And speaking of special teams, guys, let's address the elephant in the room and let's just get the, the main negative I have out of the way. Jason Sanders has to be off this team. If Jason Sanders is playing for the Miami Dolphins two weeks from yesterday when we play the Texans, I don't know what to say. I think it is a disservice if you're Mike McDaniel to keep a guy on your team that is not only missing easy layup field goals, 29-yard field goals, point afters, right, extra points. Not only is he doing that, but on top of it, it's affecting your game planning. You know, and this is the problem I have Not only is Jason Sanders missing field goals, but it's getting to the point now where you have to look at yourself as Mike McDaniel and and say to yourself, man, he's missing extra points. He's missing 29 yard field goals. And I've mentioned this on other podcast episodes, but if you don't know how field goals are calculated, like how far a field goal is, um, it's completely fine. I didn't until about four or five years ago. Obviously, the field goals at the end of the end zone so that the end zone is 10 yards and then when you snap the ball the holder for the kicker holds it seven yards 
back from the line of scrimmage. So essentially, wherever you kick the field goal at 17 yards, that's how far of a field goal it is. So if you're kicking at the 30-yard line, 47-yard field goal. Jason Sanders is missing extra points and 29-yard field goals. Okay, a 29-yard field goal, if we're doing the math, right, carrying the two, it's at the 12-yard line he missed a field goal. An extra point is at the 15-yard line. If you are Mike McDaniel, and you can say whatever you want in press conferences, doesn't matter. If you are Mike McDaniel, you're thinking to yourself, my offense is incredible, (laughs) okay? And at the end of the day, if I can't even feel safe enough that if I'm in the red zone inside the 20-yard line that we have a field goal for sure, then yeah, I'm going to have to go for it on fourth and down more likely than not. Because I have no idea if my kicker is going to be able to even make this 30-yard field goal. I have no idea if my kicker will be able to make, say you're in the red zone at the 20. I have no idea if my kicker can make this 37-yard field goal. So rather than relying on him to make a field goal, let me rely on the players that can on offense. And, you know, I think another added factor to this is when you kick a field goal, if you miss, the other team gets the ball where the where the where the ball was last on the ground, which would be seven yards back from where you snapped it. Meaning if you are at the 30 yard line and you snap it and miss it, they get the ball at the 37 damn near the 40 yard line. So if you're Mike McDaniel and you're thinking about this, you're like, if we're if we're outside the 30 yard line, it's like I don't I'm not going to kick the field goal. Because you're telling me if it's a 30-yard field goal, which is 47 yards, which in today's NFL with the kickers we had, that should be a gimme. If if he's missing those consistently, yeah, I, I'm not going to give the team the ball at you know the 37-yard line. If it's like fourth and two, I might as well go for it because worst case scenario, if I don't get it, I trust me and my offense to get two yards rather than this guy make a 47-yard field goal. So... I think that, look, Jason Sanders was good here for a little bit of time, but over the last two years, we've blamed it on the long snapper, snapper, we've blamed it on the punters, but like Jason field goal, Jason Sanders is missing field goals during pre-snap warmups when he just has his holder, like it's just like a little stand that he puts the ball on. He's missing 40-yard field goals during pre-snap warmups. It's not the holder's fault. It's not the snapper's fault. And it's to the point now where like he's lost that confidence. He's lost that mojo. And once you lose as a kicker, it's it's over. It's over for a while. And I find it hard to believe that there's not. And I'll, I'll hear the argument all the time. Well, there's not many great kickers out there on the market right now. Well, let's 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 not act like Jason Sanders is even a good kicker. It's not like you're replacing a good kicker for another good kicker. You're replacing a guy who's missing extra points. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there aren't the greatest kickers out there on the market right now, but you're telling me there's not guys that can maybe even give you just a little more consistency inside the 15-yard line? Like, I find that hard to believe. And I think that if you're Mike McDaniel, you're doing a disservice to your team by not exploring options because if you're going to do it, now's the time. You have two weeks and you're going against a team with the Houston Texans where like you're probably not going to need to rely on him making like this 
last minute high stakes field goal so you can kind of ease him into the team. I think it would be a disservice to this team to not try to replace Jason Sanders because at the end of the day, again, there's the argument there's not great kickers out there, but you're not trying to replace even a good kicker. You're just trying to get a really bad kicker off your team and replace him with someone that's like average. Like he doesn't, I'm not saying we need to go out and get a guy that's clutch as hell that can make, you know, 55 yarders, 60 yarders, no problem. That'd be great. But like we can wait till the offseason for that. You just need a guy that that can make extra points because right now your kicker can't. And I think, again, that it would be a disservice to this team if Mike McDaniel and this I'd be shocked and disappointed if if Jason Sanders was kicking for the Dolphins two weeks from now. I'll say that I will. I will be upset because it's been an issue all season. And quite honestly, it's been an issue for the last two years. But last year, we blamed it on every other thing except Jason Sanders. And now we're seeing we have a phenomenal punter. Phenomenal long snapper. It can't always be on everyone else except the kicker. And I'm just letting you all know, I I know that the Dolphins have not played in a lot of meaningful games the last 20 years. If you do not have a good kicker in the playoffs, you're kind of screwed. That's why guys like Justin Tucker are so popular and so famous in the NFL community because he single-handedly has won them Super Bowls, has gotten them to Super Bowls, has won them playoff games single-handedly. And in those type of games, again, like I look at this Browns game. Yeah, did it matter that he missed two extra points now? Because you you kicked their ass. It was 39-17. to It wasn't even kind of close. But what if this was a game like the Bears game? Where it's just an offensive, you know, slugfest. What if you needed those two points? What if it was a tie game? What if it was 33 all? You went, you didn't kick the extra point, and now all they have to do is get a touchdown and kick the extra point, which most kickers can do, and they win the game. You didn't lose the game because you, you know, didn't score points. You lost the game because your kicker missed an extra point. So... I'm trying to translate it because my mindset for this team is not what can we do in the regular season. It's great that we beat the Browns 39-17 and we are going to talk about it because I am excited. But my expectation for this team is you at least win a playoff game because you're too damn talented to not do that. And so I'm translating what's happening with Jason Sanders now to how it's going to affect this team when we are in those situations when you do need those points. Because the reality is, the best of the best teams, when you all play each other, it's not just going to be you beating them 39 to 17. When the Dolphins play the Bills or the Chiefs or whoever the playoff teams are, they're going to need to, you know, win those close fall games like they did against the Steelers or the Ravens, you know, or the Bills. Those are important games because you need to learn how to win them. And in those type of games, which a lot of playoff games are like that, you are going to need a kicker to put you over the edge. And Jason Sanders cannot do that. Not only can he not put us over the edge, he can't even do the bare minimum, which is kicking an extra point. Okay, so yeah, Jason Sanders has been by far the worst part of this season, period. On a happier note, (laughs) uh, Thomas Morstead hasn't punted in two weeks. And that may not sound like a positive, but it is because if you want any indication of how good this offense has been 
he he has yet to punt the ball in two weeks. And by the time the Texans game comes, it'll have been four weeks since he last punted a football during a regular season game. That is wild to me. Like, I can understand maybe one game, but it's like the fact that two weeks in a row now, you have not even needed to use your punter other than to hold the snap on a field goal. That's wild to me. And if there's any indication of how good, again, that this offense has been, there it is right there in black and white. It's just crazy, man. It's just crazy what this offense has been doing. But before we get into them, I, I we have to start with the defense. We have to start with the defense because I, I feel that on this podcast, I've been pretty critical of them. I think that's fair to say. I've been pretty critical of them. Um, And, you know, going into this game, if you recall the the episode on Friday, I said, obviously, this, this isn't, you know, me being Nostradamus. This is just reading you know, stats and and watching them when they're on Thursday night football and Sunday night football, this is a team that goes through the run game. And if you can stop Nick Chubb, it's way harder to do that than than it sounds. Easier said than done, but if you can stop Nick Chubb, you know, Jacoby Brissett on his own is not going to win you games. It's that simple. We saw that firsthand in Miami. And so when I was crafting a game plan, you know, and this is why I'm not an NFL coach, I did not think, based off what I'd seen from the Dolphins, that them going against what I consider a top three offensive line in football, I didn't think that by just sending five guys, they'd be able to consistently stop the run. And that is exactly what they did in this game. So first starting off with the defensive interior defensive line, this was the first game where like, I don't know if you've ever had that game with a player where you're watching them and like it doesn't mean that they played particularly well or or like they did anything above the norm but like it kind of clicked for you like how good they are this was that game for Christian Wilkins for me when I was watching this game so I watched the game live and then I re-watched it as a condensed game on NFL plus and I was just blown away like Christian Wilkins this was the game that he will go to the negotiating table and be like, look what I was able to do against a phenomenal run game against a phenomenal running back against a great offensive line. He wreaked havoc all four quarters and not even in the run game in the past game too. There were so many sacks where I looked at it and I was like, Hey, that's only possible because of what Christian Wilkins did. I know Bradley Chubb or Melvin Ingram got the sack, but it's because of what Christian Wilkins did right there, blowing up the whole interior. And I just think that like the interior man, like that's been such a, a a kryptonite for this team. I feel like in years past is stopping the run, but between him, Jenkins, uh, Sealer, Raekwon Davis, like I, I I said this before the game on Friday, the Dolphins were only giving up seventy seven yards per carry, or seventy seven <laughs> seventy seven yards per carry. The Dolphins were only giving up seventy seven yards per game. To, to to everyone but the quarterback. And when you look at the Dolphins run run yards allowed per game on defense, it it's it's really just inflated because of the quarterbacks that we've gone against. And even in this game, the the Browns had, let's see, 
the Browns had 112 yards rushing. 40 of that was by Jacoby Brissett because no one's thinking Jacoby Brissett's going to do anything. Yeah, like give him like six, seven yards here and there, right? So even this game, it's like the Dolphins gave up 72 rushing yards on 17 carries. That's it. 17 carries, 72 rushing yards. For comparison, Jeff Wilson, our running back, had 17 carries, but he had 120 yards rushing. And then Raheem Mostert, 8 for 65. So it's like the Dolphins' run defense in this game was the main reason why we had such success. And we've talked about this on the podcast, how with the additions of Bradley Chubb, right, and hopefully the interior stepping up, like, you're too damn talented to need to do cover zero to apply pressure especially with the Bradley Chubb edition now. And what I saw in this game was something that I didn't expect to see, which was the Dolphins rushed four or five top five guys max. Yeah, they, they implemented cover zero here and there, but they rushed four or five guys max and they were consistently creating so much pressure. And what that does is it just takes so much pressure off these guys in the secondary, these young guys like Kohu and Bethel and Keon Carlson. It takes pressure off them to not have to be perfect because now those extra guys you can drop in coverage. You can have two safeties now so they don't have to worry about the deep threat. It just gives you so much more of a safety blanket as a cornerback. And when you have the, the horses up front that you do, I mean, the Dolphins defensive line is stacked. I mean, we're, I know Ogba now is out for the season, but like realistically, was he even our fifth best defensive end? Let's think about it. Would you take him over Bradley Chubb? No. Would you take him over Jalen Phillips? No. Would you take him over Melvin Ingram? I wouldn't. Would you take him over Andrew Van Ginkle? If I'm being honest, I wouldn't. So it's like you lost your fifth best edge player, and then we haven't even gotten to the interior defensive line with Sealer, Davis, and Wilkins, and then John Jenkins. So it's like the Dolphins are too damn talented to not consistently be able to do this on a weekly basis. And this is the standard that I expect to see from now on. Because again, if if this is what you're able to do now as a Dolphins defense, where you're a- able to just say, hey, we're just going to drop, uh, we're just going to rush five this play. We're going to rush five, drop six in coverage, two, two high safeties to, to, to protect the deep passing. Man, that's going to make your defense a lot better. It's going to make your life on defense so much easier. Because we saw in this game just time after time, it was like there was no one open. Jacoby Brissett was having to pat the ball because there's, you know, seven guys dropped in coverage. And yet in three seconds, you have Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillip up your ass. You know, so uh, I mean, I'm just telling y'all like this is the defense that I've been saying like, this is what you need to be able to do. And the Dolphins... Now, I will say this. I will say this real quick. Giving up 40 yards to Jacoby Percet, even though it didn't really have an impact, they they still... I don't know. For some reason, like, quarterbacks are just able to run all over us. Doesn't matter how mobile you are. Like, Jacoby Percet getting 40 yards. Yeah, I mean, come on. But at the end of the day... I'm just letting y'all know life is going to be so much better and so much easier for you as a fan and for the Dolphins defensive players if they're going to be able to apply this kind of pressure on a weak basis without having to blitz seven guys. Okay, so I was really encouraged from what I saw from a defensive front. And then when we talk about the secondary, man, I just have to applaud them. 
I have to applaud them. And this is why when people say, man, when Byron Jones gets back, this Dolphins defense is going to be incredible. The Dolphins secondary hasn't been an issue. Cater Kohu is playing great football. Justin Bethel yesterday had, I'm trying to think exactly how many he had, but I feel like he had like three or four pass breakups. Justin Bethel Bethel says it's two, but I know that's a lie because I watched him do at least three. But, but I mean, it's guys like that just stepping up, making good tackles. I think there was a play in the fourth quarter where it's like third and long and Justin Bethel makes a phenomenal tackle over Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones over the middle. And it's like, it's not the secondary. Like, Xavier Howard's playing injured, but now that you're able to rush four or five, you're going to give him more help, right? And he doesn't have to be on an island all game. Hats off to Xavier Howard for shutting down Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper in this game, three receptions, 32 yards. Like, are you joking me? Three receptions, 32 yards? Uh, Again, it's like when people just say that when Byron Jones, like, yeah, when Byron Jones, if he comes back, I don't think he will. But if he does come back, of course, yeah, it's going to make your defense better. But it's like that's not been the issue on defense. The issue has been in order to manufacture pressure, you've had to send more than six guys. But now that you're able to get home with, what was it, four or five guys max, what that allows you to do is it allows you to have a numbers advantage in the run game, which we saw. They stopped the run game with Bradley Chubb or Brett with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But also now it allows you to allow those guys in the secondary to not be under as much stress, but still be able to get pressure to where they're not back there for four seconds trying to cover guys. So the defense, man, it was just really, really good. And I want to address the opening drive because I will say the opening drive was bad and I was upset with it. But here's the thing, and I think we kind of have to be patient with this. First of all, it's not ideal that their drive starts at midfield. Okay, so Danny Crossman, can you not give up a big open? Like on the opening kickoff, I don't know like how it works from a kicker standpoint, but on the opening kickoff, can you like on every kickoff, can you can you just kick like at the end? Can you like kick it out of bounds or not out of bounds? But you know what I mean? Through the end zone. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's like asking too much because I play Madden. But like, is it not possible to just be like every play, just kick it out of the end zone? Like, why would you give guys a chance to return the football? It makes no sense to me. And it's the Ravens game. First play touchdown opening kickoff. It's the Browns game. First play. They're at midfield. It's like. Can we just kick at least on opening kickoff to start each half? Can we just kick the ball through the damn end zone, please? Like, why give them any momentum to start the game? And then on on top of that, you have to remember that the first one to two drives are scripted for a team. So, like, I understand we're upset that the Browns went down and, and traditionally teams have been able to go down with ease on the first drive and score points. But we have to understand that, like, we expect the Dolphins to do that, correct? Like, I'm not alone in saying that I expect the Dolphins to score at least a field goal on their first possession because it's scripted. So for me, I have I can't be just blind as a fan and think that we are the only team that expects to do that. The Browns practice those plays. They do. They practice those plays and they went out and especially having to only start at midfield. So you only have 50 yards to go rather than 75 to 80, you know, 
that's going to be much easier. And it's scripted plays that you know exactly how you're going to execute them. You went through them in warm-ups and walkthroughs. Like, we have to understand that these are teams that we're playing. It's not just like everything's going to bounce the Dolphins' way. And while it is upsetting that they gave up a 50-yard return and then they, they marched down the field, you know, there were penalties given up. You know, Jerome Baker, Emmanuel Ogba being off sides that, that extended their opening drive. But we have to understand that, like, yeah, they gave up an opening touchdown, but then they didn't give up a touchdown or any points the rest of the half. So I think moving forward, this is something that I'm going to work on. And, and, you know, if you want to as well, like, yeah, we can be upset if the offense of the other team just goes down on the opening drive. But at the same time, let's not let it um, let's not think that that is going to be a uh a foreshadow of what's to come because it is a scripted drive and teams expect to score points on their opening drive. It's about how you realize, Hey, this is what they're going to try to do this game. Let's figure out how to adjust. And I feel like in the past, Josh Boyers waited till the second half to make those adjustments. Whereas this game, he was like, Hey, this is what we did wrong in this first drive. Let's adjust. And after that, the dolphins gave up 10 points in the next you know, that was the first drive. I think their first drive lasted like three minutes. So in the next 57 minutes of football, they gave up 10 points. So again, like, yeah, it was upsetting the opening drive. But at the end of the day, they adjusted and teams expect to score points on the opening drive. Just how it is. Speaking of scoring. We got a quarterback right now, y'all. We got a quarterback right now that is. If it can I can I be quite honest with you? I, I don't even know how to feel about what two is doing because I, so if you don't know, I'm only 24 years old. I was born in 1998. By the time I could understand football, right? We're all like, I've been a Dolphins fan since I was like five, but since, but from the age I was actually able to like understand football, which was like nine, it was 2007. So like, I don't know what really good football looks like, and I don't know what really good quarterback play looks like in a Dolphins uniform. And I feel like that's something that a lot of us could say, depending on your age. And so when I'm watching these games with Tua, it's weird for me because it almost feels like a dream. Like when you have that those Dolphin dreams where like it's the game, it's the day before like kickoff. And you're dreaming that the Dolphins are going to destroy the other team like 56 to zero and your quarterback's going out there and doing all these crazy things. That's what it feels like to me. And I'm not really sure how to feel about Tua and how good he's playing because like it's almost like I don't believe what I'm seeing because I, 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 I've gone 20 years now without experiencing it, you know, um, but what Tua is doing right now is just like crazy to me and I, I started gaining more of an appreciation for what he does when I started watching more film and I started watching like the all 22s of these games. And when I actually like watch his anticipation, his pocket presence, like I've gained such an appreciation for what he does, because like I've said, when you watch the, the, the game, all you see is two throws a pass guy catches it. He's wide open. What you don't see is when he's throwing the football 
the anticipation he's throwing with. And when I started watching the film, I was like, holy crap, this is what people are talking about when they say he's accurate and has anticipation. It's because he's throwing the ball at like that pass um, to Tyreek Hill where he threw it off his back foot and he just chucked it up in the air and it looked like he chucked it up in the air and Tyreek Hill ran to it, caught it on the sideline two feet in. It was like a 22-yard pass. I have not seen the all 22 yet of it. But when he threw that ball, Tyreek Hill was not even turned around. He literally threw a ball to a spot and said, I know Tyreek's going to be there. And he threw it up and it hung in the air a while. But that's because that by the time that ball got to where it needed to be, Tyreek Hill, it was perfect. It was like he threw a laser. It was right in his hands. And it's stuff like that the two has been doing now on a weekly basis to where I'm like, this dude is playing at a different level. Okay, when I watch the condensed game after I kind of could absorb, we just kicked the Browns ass. Let me let me rewatch the game again. See if there's anything extra I could catch Tua just looks like he's playing with so much relaxation and confidence like he doesn't look panicked anymore. And I don't know if any of you felt that, but like in the last year, like especially last year, it almost felt like you were like tense every time Tua went back to throw the football. And I don't know why. It's not like I wasn't confident in him, but it was just like it looked labored. And when he's going back to pass now, every single time, it's like that feeling you get when you watch like him Mahomes, where it's like every single time he drops back, you're like anything could happen right now. Like this could be he could throw it away. It could be a little pass to a running back or like this could be a touchdown. And what I'm loving from Tua right now is every time he drops back, whereas in years past, his eyes have moved from, you know, short range to the to the long passes. Tua goes into every play looking to throw a touchdown. Tua goes out into every single play now looking to throw a 20, 30 yard pass to Tyree Killer, Jalen Waddle. And what I noticed is on the passes to like in gold, uh, not the touchdown pass because that was meant for him. But like on touch on passes to like Ingold and maybe like little short routes to Gesicki or, you know, uh, Trent Sherfield, like Tua's going. That's like his fourth read, like Tua every single play. His eyes are downfield, like 20, 30 yards where Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are. And then when they're covered, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'll dump this little six yard pass out to Alec Ingold and he'll gain 12. That's the difference I'm seeing in Tua from this year and years past is his, his going through his progressions. And I talked about this last year. I said, everyone's so worried about arm strength to his problem is not how far he can throw the football or even how fast he can throw it. His problem is that he's looking for the short dink and dunk pass all the time. And people disagreed with me, but I was like, that's the truth. And this year, what you're seeing, the difference is two is going through his progressions like a lightning speed. And it's like every single play he's looking to throw a touchdown pass. He's looking to slice and dice you every single play. And if it's not there, he's like, yeah, whatever. I'll just throw this 10-yard out route to Mike Kosicki or I'll just toss it out to Jeff Wilson, you know, for a touchdown or for like a 10-yard gain. And that's what's so crazy is that everyone's worrying about Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. And when they aren't open, which is rare, but if they aren't open too, it's like, yeah, I'll just dump it off to like Trent Sherfield. You've heard of him, right? Like, I, I'll just dump it off to, to Raheem Moster, who's got burners up his ass. So, two is just playing incredible right now. And the fact that the last three weeks, like, I want you to think about this. 
since two has come back from his concussion, he's thrown 10 touchdown passes, no interceptions. Think about that again. Your quarterback has thrown 10 touchdowns and no interceptions since he's come back from his injury. And it's one of those where it's bittersweet because when I think about what he could be now, if he wouldn't have lost three games of experience in this offense, it's scary to me. And if I'm being quite honest, I, I, I'm I going to say this because I feel confident in saying this right now. If, if Tua doesn't go out, I'm not really sure you lose a game this year. You correct me if I'm wrong. Do the Dolphins beat the Vikings? The Vikings game is the only one where I'm like, eh, you, you might have beat them. But like, honestly, you could have beat them. Um, but really, it was the defense that at the end, you know, with that big touchdown run, like the defense at the end kind of folded. Um, but like the Dolphins legitimately right now could be undefeated like the Eagles. At worst case scenario, uh, nine and one. I don't think that's... I, like, I don't think that's wrong to say that or like, you know, uh, an invalid state like the Dolphins legitimately right now could be nine and one if Tua never got injured. And what's crazy to me is that Tua has never been in a professional offense for more than one year. So it's like this is Tua after seven games in this offense. What's going to happen when he's in game 20 of this offense? Because the Dolphins right now are the 49ers of the AFC, except their quarterback can actually win them games on their own. Whereas Jimmy G, they they almost do better when he doesn't throw the football a lot. So we are an upgraded version of the 49ers. Like we are a team that like, yeah, if you need Tua to win you a game, he can. Jimmy G cannot do that. In fact, if you need him to win you a game, not only will he lose it for you, but he'll do it in embarrassing fashion. And so, like, what's crazy to me is, like, Tua, when he's in year two of this offense next year, it's going to be lights out, like, game over. Um, And he's just playing loose. He's playing great football, man. The wide receivers, real quick. I mean, there's not really anything I could say about them, but I think this game was important for the team because it showed that they could win without Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. They had 110 yards combined between the two of them. And I think this was important for Tua. I think it was important for this team. And I think it was important for the fans and national media because what we witnessed is the Dolphins don't rely on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And that's why I said Tyreek Hill is not your MVP of the team. He's not. Because Tua is the one throwing the football. Tua is the one that is winning you these games. Tyreek Hill played with Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater. Didn't matter. You're 7-0 with Tua. And what Tua showed you today is these receivers do not make me. I can throw a laser dot in the end zone back at back left corner to Trent Sherfield, who's our wide receiver 3-4. I'll throw a touchdown pass to Alec Ingold, our fullback. Like, it does not matter. You don't need, like, Tua and, like, Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddle only had 110 yards combined. Whereas the last three weeks, like, Tyree Hill's had more than that on his own. So this was an important game for Tua to be like, I do not need these wide receivers for any of you thinking that they make me. They do not. They make me better, but I am him. I am me, okay, regardless of the receivers I have. And this is something that I've said for the last couple of years. Everyone's saying Tua needs the best wide receivers. He doesn't. Tua needs one thing, an offensive line. That's it. He doesn't need amazing wide receivers because he had 
crap around him for two whole years and it didn't matter. He was still putting up pretty decent numbers. The problem is when he doesn't have an offensive line to create lanes for him and on top of it, you have no ride receivers that can create separation. That's when issues come in. But the Dolphins have an offensive line now. The offensive line has been phenomenal the last three weeks. Okay, I said this before the game. I said that the offensive line on offense, the number one key is the offensive line. Because if you allow Miles Garrett and, and Jadavian Clowney to do whatever they want, it's going to be a long road ahead. And I forgot that Miles Garrett played for the Browns in this game. Because Teron Armstead is a man amongst boys. He erased Miles Garrett completely from this game. And I can't remember the last time I've said that from an offensive lineman. Maybe Laramie Tunsil, like in 2018. But like, I can't remember a time when the Dolphins have legitimately been like, yeah, take your best edge rusher and we have an offensive line that will completely take them out of the game. Robert Jones. It's concerning to me that Chris Greer found Robert Jones, but also at the same time found Liam Eikenberg. And I said this with all due respect to Liam, I hope he heals up, but he lost his job. And Liam Eikenberg, it was pretty clear that the front office was pushing him on the team. And I think the coaching staff, again, if you and I knew Liam Eikenberg was a bum, what do you think these guys know? So I think for them, it's a fresh uh, a breath of fresh air because they're now allowed to play the guy that deserves to be the left guard and is playing phenomenal football without having the pressure of being like, Oh, we benched Liam. No, he's injured. So it's, there's no stress. And then Brandon Shell, he's playing really good at right tackle, man. And that kind of leads me to like Austin Jackson and where he fits in long term. I don't know. I mean, it's not a bad thing if Austin Jackson's your swing right tackle or, or if he's your swing tackle. And honestly, by swing, he could honestly play left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard. It's not the worst case scenario if that if that's the situation that you're in. So, you know, I I don't really know where he fits in long term. He was able to play this week and he didn't. I don't know against the Texans. Does he play? I wouldn't because knowing that Teron might get injured, maybe. I hope he doesn't, but he might. Having Austin Jackson as your swing isn't, isn't the worst thing in the world. So I would honestly just let him heal up and when... If there is an injury on our offensive line, then put him in. That's honestly what I would do. Because right now, do not... If it's working, don't t- don't fix it. And so, if this offensive line is performing at the level they are right now, don't put this new person in. Leave Austin Jackson on the bench. And if he needs to come in, I feel confident enough that he'll be able to do, to do an adequate job if he needs to be that swing, tackle, or fill in for Robert Jones at left guard. And then last but not least, we have to talk about the running backs, man. The running backs. I mean, I've told you all on the podcast, my two favorite positions in football, safety on the defense, running back on offense. And Jeff Wilson right now, average, like Jeff Wilson, do y'all understand that like Jeff Wilson averaged seven yards a carry against the Browns? Like the Browns defensive line, Jeff Wilson averaged seven yards a carry. Do y'all understand that Raheem Moster averaged eight yards a carry like, it's 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 crazy. I've ne- I've never th- this offense right now. It's like 
it's I laugh because when I look at it from like a defensive perspective, I'm not sure how you stop it because it's like the Dolphins have been able to dominate teams when they don't have a running game. And now that they do have a running game and they got Jeff Wilson, who looks like the best. I'll say this. Jeff Wilson is the most balanced, polished running back the Dolphins have had here. Maybe since I don't even know. I would I would take him over like a Jay Ajayi. I would. Because as a pass catcher, some of the catches he was making, the pass protection, his vision mixed with his burst, like he doesn't have a like Jay Ajayi didn't have this type of burst. Jeff Wilson's burst is ridiculous. He's basically got a little less speed than Raheem Mostert, but twice as much power. And like the fact that you legitimately, you could make an argument that Raheem Mostert's still running back one. He averaged eight yards a carry. He didn't get as many carries. He got half as many, but he got 65 yards. So if he would have had as many carries, he would have had more yards. Like you legitimately have two running back ones. And if the Dolphins can have this, again, kind of like I said with the defense of being able to apply pressure with five, if the Dolphins are able to run the football, and again, I said this this past week, the Dolphins don't need an elite running game. But damn, if you give it to me, I'll take it. (laughs) If you give it to me, I will take it. If the Dolphins are able to do this every week, I, I don't really see how teams can beat you. I don't. Because like it was hard enough with a complimentary run game and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, but then on top of that, it's like Tyreek and Jalen don't even need a hundred yards, a hundred. Uh, they have a hundred ten yards together, and you're still able to beat a team. What should have been forty-one to seventeen? That's ridiculous to me. It's crazy. And Jeff Wilson to me, like Jeff Wilson right now, is the better trade between him and Bradley Chubb. You can argue all you want with me. It's the truth. You got him for a fifth-round pick. Are you joking me? A fifth round pick, guys. A fifth round pick. We 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 had Curtis Weaver in the fifth round. Y'all get what I'm saying? Like a fifth round pick, you're lucky if they make the team. A fifth round pick, you got like your running back one, arguably. Like Jeff Wilson, hats off to him. He has made an impact every single week. He had another touchdown this game. Raheem Moster had a touchdown. He's just been sensational, and. I just love this offense. I do. I love the intricacies of it. I love how they'll do the same play, but it's like there's like four different guys you could go to on that play that are wide open. I love that the running game's going. I love that the running game doesn't even look hard. That's another thing. Like the running game didn't even look like it's not like they were doing anything crazy. They weren't like breaking through these small holes. Like, no, no, no. Like they had wide open lanes to run through. Both of them, Raheem and Jeff Wilson. Even Savan Ahmed came in at the end of the game and averaged 3.7 yards per carry. He had three runs for 11 yards. It's like, this offensive line, man, right now, if they can just continue to play this way, I'm telling y'all, when you play the Bills, it's not going to be like it has been in the past. Because if you can run the ball like this, in the cold weather, you don't need to uh, to throw those 50-yard passes. Like, just have this complimentary run game and every now and then play action and throw Jalen Waddle seven yards down the field and he'll run another 10. I'm telling you all, this is a different team. This is a different offense. You're not going to see to a crumble in the cold weather games like we have seen in the past where he struggles in the cold weather. It's the truth, but it's okay. That's not the same too. It's not the same offense. They are going to be 
phenomenal down the stretch. I think when we look at the next couple of games, Houston, San Francisco, Chargers, Bills, if the Dolphins can't win at least two of them, I'd be shocked. I legitimately, right now, I think they're better than the 49ers. I think they're better than the Texans. And I think they're better than the Chargers. And the only two games I could see them losing is maybe to the 49ers and maybe and and to the Bills, obviously, because we're playing in Buffalo. But like, no, I would not be shocked with Josh Allen, how he looked against the at home against the Vikings, who I think were better than. No, I would not be shocked if the Dolphins went three and one in the next four games. And even if we went two and two, that means we're nine and five. The Dolphins to get into the playoffs, the Dolphins have to win three more games. Do you understand that as a Dolphin fan? The Dolphins have to win three more games to get into the playoffs, most likely. Because if you're a 10-win team, you're probably going to get in. If you're an 11-win team, you're definitely going to get in. So, like, you're telling me the Dolphins can't go three for seven in the next seven games? You're telling me the Dolphins can't even go four and seven? Legitimately, in order to guarantee a playoff spot and probably a home playoff game, you have to beat the Texans and then go 500 in your last six games. Dolphins can do that. And I think we are legitimately, there's a legitimate possibility the Dolphins have a home playoff game this year. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm hype as hell. Your Dolphins 7-3, and three, they're just phenomenal right now. Go into a bye week, get healthy, two-week preparation for the long journey ahead, and uh, the sky's the limit with this team, man. And it all starts with your quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, just playing absolutely incredible, incredible football. So that's all I have for you guys today. Next time we talk, we'll be on Wednesday. We'll be doing a film review. Um, I'll I'll get the all 22, hopefully maybe sometime today. um, And I'll do a film review on Wednesday, kind of like I did last week. Um, So yeah, but God, I'm excited. I'm just so excited about this team, man. I'm I'm probably going to go watch the condensed game again right now. Why not? I mean, I'm paying for it, so why not go do it? Anyway, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time here on the Finn Sports Football Podcast. Finn's up. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami